black woman. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. And if you are new here, welcome. Welcome to Never Judge a Brook by its cover. I'm your host, Brooke Nicole, and y'all are in for a treat today. I'm super excited about this episode. But before we get to it, we always, always have to give a life update. So let's go ahead and get into it. First things first, I would love to say that it is still Black History Month. So... Yes, we only got a couple more days, but even after that, even after the month is over, I'm going to still be black. I love it. Don't you? Um, Happy Black History Month. I said this on the last episode, as always. And of course, we do a Black History Month episode every year. This year is no different, but we wanted to highlight our black women. So as always, I'm super excited to highlight them because one thing I love being is black, but also a woman. So I cannot wait to get into this conversation, y'all. This is really, really good. Um, What else has been happening in my life? I had a really good Valentine's Day. Uh, (laughs) I know I was talking about how single I was in my last episode, but I really enjoyed my Valentine's Day. Like it was one of the best that I've had in a very long time. So I really enjoyed it. Shout out to all the people that made (laughs) made me feel special. Another update is uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. <laughs> I am going to the Beyonce concert. Yay! Turn up for me. Um, I went to Charlotte last weekend, I think, or last week for my one of my closest friend's birthday. We threw her a birthday surprise. And in the midst of all of the planning and all of that, I got waitlisted for the Beyonce concert. My brother was already waitlisted. A couple of my friends were already waitlisted. If you don't know, like, believe the hype. It is very hard to get in. And I did not get in, but my brother got in. He got off the wait list. I still haven't gotten an email about being off the wait list. So who cares? I got the tickets. He got the tickets. I didn't really get them, but I'm so grateful that he did. So y'all will see me at the Beyonce concert in August. And I'm not pressed on where we're seating, where we're sitting. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people ain't showing where they sitting. I'm one of those people. We probably going to sit all the way up in there, (laughs) all the way in the nosebleeds. But I just asked to be in the number. So I'm grateful to be in the number with me. Um, I'm not sure where we're sitting, to be honest. Like, I really just played us because the price point is given. We need to be sitting a little bit closer. Um, But I'm excited to go with my brother and one of my friends, one of my sisters. I'm super excited. So, yeah, we got our concert tickets. And... As always, that's like a huge life update. Speaking of my brother for securing us those tickets, it's also his 24th birthday. So happy birthday, Jamal. I know you are not listening to this right now. You're probably out getting lit somewhere, but happy birthday. I hope you enjoy your birthday. And now on to the show. Let's go ahead and get into selfie care. So this week for selfie care, I got my nails done, my eyebrows done, And I was having a really, really bad day and I'm doing this fast now. And um, right before eight o'clock, I wanted to go get me some ice cream. And so I did. And I felt really good about it. You know, sometimes like when you eat bad or you go off of a diet or something, you feel horrible. I was just like, whatever, I really need it. So I really enjoyed that for my selfie care. And also I started back therapy. So I did not enclose this with everyone. I didn't tell everybody that I have stop therapy for almost a month now and it wasn't something that I had to do I got off my mom's insurance and so it was like an insurance thing and I was struggling my mental health was struggling 
but I'm back on, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. As many of the listeners know, therapy is just a huge part of my life now and I've only been doing it for a year. And so the fact that I was like, missed a whole month, like literally probably even a little bit more than a month, I was like, uh, uh, but we finally got everything situated. And so now I am back, baby. And I feel so good to be back. As always for selfie care, please make sure y'all tag us. If your page is private, I am unable to see the tag, but screenshot it and send it to our page because I would love to see what you guys are doing for selfie care. Selfie care can be something as little as making your bed to something as huge as going out the country with yourself in a solo trip. I love to see it. Whatever it is, make sure you tag us at Never Judge a Brook Pod on Instagram and we will share your selfie care experience. Moving right along to real life politics, real life politics, real life politics. In Virginia, they have now made history with electing their first black woman elected in Congress. I definitely wanted to bring that up. Her name is Jennifer McKellen. Because this episode is about black women, I think that our politics segment should reflect black women, of course. And so that was really good. And Virginia is so close to me now that I live in D.C. So That's a huge, huge step for Virginia, and I'm so proud of her. And as a black woman, you know, it's always good to see what we can do. And the impact that we have not only on other black women, but in this country. So I'm excited to see what Miss Jennifer will do. And it's really exciting to see that. And Merlin hired or Merlin had their first black male. So, I mean, we're really going up in the DMV. Okay. Okay. Moving right along, I feel like that was like the quickest like recap ever, but it's just because this episode is so good that I cannot wait to share it with you guys. So we talked about the the title of this episode is Diary of a Blank Black Woman, and it's for you to fill in your own story, for you to combat the negative stereotypes of what black women have now been seen and have been chosen. And so if you are a black woman right now listening to it, please fill in that blank diary of a what are you black woman in the episode I asked my guests to do that as well and the words that they come up with are just genius like I love how we are all creating and rewriting our own story as black women and you know navigating through the stereotype of the angry black woman which we talk about I'm so grateful for my guest India who I've known since I was a child Mona, who is my mentor, and Maya, who has kind of like become my DC mentor. She's just really good at what she does. And she's just like very blunt like me. And I just love it. So I'm so grateful for each person to participate. And I can't wait for y'all to hear this episode and our little diary entries. And I can't wait to see what you guys feel like. What what are you thinking as a black woman? Or even if you're not a black woman, please share this with one that How do you rewrite your own story? And I would love for you to share your stories on Instagram and fill in the blank. You are a what black woman. So this episode has been sitting on the dock for a long time and now it is finally here and I wouldn't have chose any other guest. So I'm so grateful. I cannot wait for y'all to hear it. It's a good one. I have three beautiful black women with me today and I would love for them to introduce themselves to get us started. I'm India. Um, I'm originally from Raleigh, North Carolina. I currently live in Dallas, Texas, and I work as a financial analyst. Been in corporate America for like since 2020, so what three years now? Feels like a long time. 
Okay, my name is Maya Miller. I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. I currently reside in Maryland and I work in Arlington, Virginia as a shelter case manager at a nonprofit. And my name is Mona Zahir. I'm also from Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I'm located in Durham, North Carolina right now. I'm in my final year of grad school at Duke University uh, School of Public Policy. Um, my background is in big tech, and I'm currently studying technology policy, and I work at a startup. It's Black History Month, and well, we're coming towards the end of it, and I just wanted to highlight the Black women, of course, as always, and there's always been this narrative around Black women of being mean, aggressive, or angry, or whatever, and so today we're going to combat that, and so I just wanted to start it off by saying like how you be yourself. So for example, it would be like, my name is Brooke, and this is the diary of, and then you will put the blank, Black woman. So I will start by saying, uh, my name is Brooke, and this is the diary of a resilient Black woman, because I consider myself very resilient. You, you could take some time to think about it. I know this is just... <laughs> um, this is India, and this is the diary of a mindful black woman mm. okay. this is Mona and this is the diary of a tenacious black woman okay. this is Maya and this is a diary of a multifaceted black woman yes okay great so let's go ahead and get started with the show um so what is the narrative of around black women and do you think that narrative has changed taking away or whatever thoughts you have from the beginning to, to now? I would say short answer, yes. Um, from a sociological lens, uh, the narrative has definitely changed, but I would say that the narrative has changed because there has been more avenues and platforms for black women to own their own narrative. And so because of structural inequalities of systems that benefit for them, defining our narratives. I don't think much has changed in that regard. I think the institutional barriers, I think the policies, um, I think the minds of many of those in power has had limited growth um, and growth that is overdue. But because of this expansion of platforms where we can own our own narratives, where we can contribute more into the arts, uh, music, entertainment, writings, um, policy. I think I'm gonna be talking about <laughs> policy a lot uh, from my perspective, but yeah, I would say because of us um, yeah. not waiting for permission, but just taking opportunities wherever we can find it, pushing doors down, I would say for sure that the narrative has, has changed because we are the ones now telling our stories. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think that because we have avenues of telling our own story, whereas I don't think the behaviors or the attitudes or anything of Black women themselves has changed. Right. Um, but I think how people see it, because now they know the story behind it, so they don't assume um, or perceive somebody as mean or angry or Right. Any negative connotation because now they have typically a story behind it beforehand and somebody's able to tell that story. So they just, it's just looking at it with a different lens. 
And I think I was going to say we're defining our own story. I feel like for so long it was someone telling the story for us and like defining us as like whatever, like angry or assertive or whatever verb they wanted to use at that time. It's us creating that narrative and us having the voice to say, well, this is who we are. This is why we are the way we are. And, you know, that can change at any given moment. But this is who we are. Right. I feel like we have become like I've seen a shift not only within um, ourselves or like the narrative that we have or the stereotypes, but it became like angry and aggressive to like queen or like have y'all seen like it's like now we're like black queen from others, not from ourselves. Like we weren't the ones that's calling ourselves angry, but I just feel like it's definitely been a turn in that. And the terminology, like now I feel like a lot of men or men in general or anybody really approaches it as like a black queen aspect or something like that. And so I'm like, okay, like, you know, it kind of has changed, but we still, of course, have like ways to go of people to put, I'm going to say put some respect on our name, but like just put some respect in the whole (laughs) aspects of black women, because we are the most educated group and we are doing what we have to do. And we've done a lot. And I feel like it's not enough respect based off of. Um, the double consciousness of our gender and our race. So have y'all ever had any problems when you were younger? Like what are some things that you would tell your younger self? Of Like, I don't know, I guess like in terms of this, op- this subject, like being a black woman, what are some things that you would tell that person and that girl? Before I answer that, um, can I go back to what you just said about that in terms of like being an angry black woman and the narrative behind that? Because oh, first of because first of all, we have a right to be angry. Like let's That's let's true. cut let's cut to the chase. Like you said, we are the most educated, but yet yeah. we are the most underpaid per right. dollar compared to a white man. Um, like when we talk about incarceration rates, when we talk about even when um injustices happen with us and you know, we're trying to galvanize um for our rights um what is the turnout for that what is the turnout even for women athletics in compared to to males so yeah not even going like deep into you know title nine but just in general I think that um India sort of said it best about like the storytelling like I think now we are at a point where we can contextualize it but Mm -hmm. I don't think that we should run away from why we're angry. I think like now is the time to put so many different opportunities and narratives and to make more like empathy and and building these like cross-cultural conversations of like through history, like especially going through the 1619 project. Hell yeah, I have a right to be angry. And you don't get to sort of like shrink that anger and then make this aggressive stereotype threat about me um but instead that you should be helping me channel my anger in a way that is productive because I am being productive in that anger to break barriers and I need you to be an ally in that whether you are you know white uh male um any any dynamic that is not um in reference to like the experiences that black women uh go through so I just wanted to add that. Because, oh, no, 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 you can add anything you want oh, to. Because, yeah, I'm a little angry. <laughs> that part, and I'm in that school part. and I hear some of my classmates talk. I get a little, I get a little angry. Yeah. While I also feel really supported by some of them too. But yeah, yeah I, I get, get angry. That. I agree. Y'all angry too? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, yes. <laughs> like, short answer, yes. Right. I mean, I got a lot to be mad about. 
Like, yeah, what does Solange say? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I got a lot to be mad about. But we move. Yeah, we do right. always. Um, okay, so what would you tell your younger self? Uh, I guess like Mona put it clearly, what would you tell your younger self is for me, you do have a right to be angry and you have a right to be mad. And I think like personally as well, I used to always like, um, I used to like never really tell everybody that I was smart. Like I would always try to play it off. And I think that was because like the stereotype of being a smart black woman or like when I was a kid growing up, it just didn't really fit it. Like, so I used to always say like, my brother is smarter than me and not to say he's not, but I'm just saying like, it was just me always dumbing down my intelligence. And so I would tell my younger self that it's okay to be smart because who are these people? They're not going to do nothing for you. And I just feel like, and I talk to myself very blunt. Everybody knows that. Um, But I just feel like that's something that I would tell myself. What are some things that you guys would tell yourself? I think I would tell myself just because they label me as angry does not mean that I'm angry. So in the same sentence of like, we do have a right to be angry of the things that, you know, we've been through experiences. I think that people have labeled us as angry for so long that we've taken that and like, okay, that's what I am because that's what they say that I am. But there's so many other words to define who I am besides being angry like um more recently I've gotten to the the thing of I'm not angry like I I speak with passion I'm very passionate about things that I speak about and I might be assertive but just because I'm you know I'm not wording things the way you would like to word or my verbiage might be different or if I talk with my hands or you Mm -hmm. know I'm piping up about an issue that I'm really passionate about I'm not angry I'm yeah I'm just explaining myself when right. if, you know, sis beside me had the same sentiment, she's not angry. So what makes me angry? So I think I would say to my younger self is there are a lot of other ways to define yourself than an angry person or angry black woman that everybody thinks you are because you're not that. And I don't have to take that and put that on myself because that's what somebody defined me as in that moment. Right. Agreed. I think I would tell my younger self kind of mix everything that you all said, but it really boils down to like their issues are not your problems. Mm -hmm. And there's some that like, of course, like if it's your friend or whatever, and they have a problem with something you said or did, of course, but like the person that you are, the issue that other people have with that, all of your quirks, all of your pros, all your cons are not your issue. Right. You don't, if somebody has that big of an issue with something about you, they don't have to be around like y'all don't have to interact you don't have to be friends yeah it's cool and that's coming from somebody who was a people pleaser like it took me a long time to get to that point because I wanted to be friends with everybody and I wanted to mix in every circle and everybody's just not gonna like you and it's gonna be certain things that they don't like that are out of your control like I can't control what I look like I can't control my genetics I can't control that I'm smart I can't control a lot of different things and it's not my job to either dumb myself down, change how I look if I don't want to, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, change my mannerisms. That's not on me. Right. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I would tell my younger self, your composure will serve you one day and just be patient about that. Um, because I think that 
I was I was pretty fortunate because I went to mostly black schools growing up. And so um, including an HBCU for undergrad. And so I didn't have to experience much of my patience or my limits being tested in terms of my anger a lot. Um, But it was when I went into corporate and when I started working and I'm just like entering professional adulthood and I have to navigate a lot of, a lot of interactions um, where I, I did handle it with composure. I did handle it with, with grace. And sometimes I would get sort of like pulled to the side on, on this expectation of how I should respond. Mm. Um, like, well, if that was me, I would have done X, Y, Z. Well, but that is not, that's not me. Um, you know, for me, you know, this is the way that I respond to things and I need to be authentic about that. But I think Brooke, you said it earlier, that double consciousness, sometimes I struggle with, do I respond to this? Let's say for instance, this microaggression, do I respond to this microaggression in what's true for Mona? Mm -hmm. Or do I respond to this microaggression with the, almost the burden of like, people who look like me have to experience this. And there is a way I should respond to make it clear that you shouldn't respond like this to anybody who looks like me, like sort of like separating the individual experiences from the communal ones. Um, And I used to like go through those motions a lot. And I think, again, it's just one of the um, effects of racism, you know, in our society where it's like we we as black people have to constantly go through this rumination and it's like a weathering process. But I say that all to say um, now looking back, like where I'm at, like now in my life, like I'm also um, a Pickering for an affairs fellow. And what was crazy about that was when I was going through the application process for that, because it's so rigorous. One of the 13 dimensions for being a foreign service officer is literally composure and um, it, and the things that they test you on the scenarios that they put you in is to test, like, how are you going to respond? Like, what, what is this like vitriol reaction that you're going to have? And I think for me, it was a very affirming moment that, you know, you should stay true to yourself and like, you don't have to perform based off of what others expect you to. Um, even if it is over indexing on um, identity, gender, um, and things that are not, you know, typical, um, I guess, like stereotypes that, that they want you to have. Um, So I I would tell that to my younger self. And then something I would also, I have to, something I would also tell to my younger self, um, which I, you know, I actually still do. I'm not gonna lie. I still, I still kind of like, uh, share this over and over again, this mantra, but like my joy isn't frivolous. It's necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and I can't remember the, um, black author who said this, but I I think that is just so true. Like black joy isn't frivolous. It's, it's necessary. And I think that I just love seeing this like soft girl life trend and like Mm -hmm. everyone talking about mindfulness and like, you know, really just, you know, taking it easy on ourselves. Cause I think, I think we're, we're really hard on each other and on ourselves. Yeah, you brought up a a point too that I didn't even think about, which was school and like your background. And I think that like we went to, well, I went, like I said, I went to elementary school and middle school and high school with India. So I feel like it was more so white being that when I went to HBCU, I saw way more black faces than I did 
in those spaces. And I feel like the person that I was, I ended up being in a lot of white spaces when it came to high school in particular. And I think that I, one thing that I felt like stripped away from me when I went to HBCU was the necessary of like trying to perform to be something that I wasn't. And so I think when I went to HBCU, I was like, oh my, I can do this. I can say that I can be myself. Like, I feel like, I feel like I was myself at my high school, but I wasn't myself. Like I just got checked so many ways and so many different avenues when I went to Winston where I was like, oh, okay. Like black girls were like, girl, you don't got to do all of that. And like, I would be afraid. Like I tried to put on, um, I remember this, mm, my freshman year at Atkins move in day. I had on a, a quick weave because I didn't want people, like I didn't want to get judged over my fro. And it was so many girls. Like once I took, first off, I swept my hair out. So it looked a mess. Finally took the quick weave out. <laughs> finally took the quick weave out and I just remember being like I guess like so ashamed of my curls and people were like so embracing of them and they were like girl like rock your hair you know it was just so different I feel like then once I graduated from an HBCU it just came felt like I was when I got back into the corporate space it felt like I was going right back to high school where I had to like try to perform but it's like I finally knew who I was where I didn't think that I was gonna perform like I'm not gonna do it but I did feel a sense of like high school where like some of the some of the heads um were white men and they were talking down to me and I'm like wait a minute now <laughs> like don't get it confused and I felt like very confident in speaking up for myself when I knew that if I didn't go to HBCU I probably wouldn't have felt as confident speaking up for myself um so yeah see my experience was like very different I know uh, <laughs> <laughs> um like for example we did all of school together but I think my experience was also different because of like my extracurriculars. I'm an only child and I grew up as the only black family in the neighborhood. So my mom was like very intentional on the extracurriculars I was going to be put in. First of all, she's, you know, typical black mom. You're not about to be sitting at the house. You need to figure out what, what activity you want to do, what sport, <laughs> what were we doing? So um, I did cheer and dance for a really long time, but she found programs that were, there were a lot of black people and mm-hmm. I still have friends that I've had since I was five years old because they're who I started cheering with. And then my mom got cool with their moms and that's who I did all extracurriculars with. And then even up throughout high school, I was in like a, or middle school and high school, I was in a, a college, pre-college like development program that was on weekends and it was for black people. So yeah. it was all black. So I think I had like that balance because at high school, I were yeah, high school, I was in honors and AP classes. So it was me and one other person, maybe yeah. two, if I'm being like, if we're getting lucky. So I think when I got to college, um, I kind of already knew who I was and being there just affirmed it. Yeah. And the fact that I was able to have so many opportunities of internships and conferences, et cetera, et cetera, while I was in school, it was very um easy for me to go ahead and like set those boundaries and so once I was full-time I'd already set boundaries at my internship of like what I would and would not tolerate mm-hmm. you know in terms of being a black woman or in terms of just working in general like I'm coming when I'm supposed to come and I'm leaving when I'm supposed to leave I'm not staying after like I'm not doing anything extra I'm not taking anybody else's stuff that they don't want and so it was very easy to assert myself in those ways and to tell people when things were inappropriate once I got into like full-time, the full-time role, because I was doing that for years and years and years. Right. So I think it comes with practice, of course. Um, and um, to Mona's point, how you decide to go about it and what's true to you, 
that comes with practice and trial and error as well. Um, yeah. But there is a point where you like get to that point and you're able to do those things. And for the people in the bag, what school did you go to? HBCU. I went to the illustrious North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. You didn't have to do all that. Oh, I, wanted God. that I wanted you to get that out. That's all. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love that, <laughs> <laughs> that for you. We love that for you. Did your identity affect, we we're talking about jobs and stuff. So did, the, did your identity affect the job that you chose and, or what you are, what you want to do? Um, not really. I did it, what I liked to do as far as like topics and what I like to study. That's what informed my decision. But also when I chose to go into finance, I was very aware that it's like white men like that. That's what it is. Yeah. And so I knew and I already prepared myself for what I may face and that I've kind of just tried to navigate and go in with the understanding of what being the worst case scenario now have i been in the worst case scenario a couple times yeah (laughs) um less times than i assumed i would be and that's like made me feel better because i prepared for the worst it didn't choose where i wanted to work but it chose where i wanted to study when getting my second degree so Mm -hmm. I got my master's at Howard in social work. And when we went there, we always talked about the black perspective and how to show up authentically as myself, as a black woman in a white woman field. And now I see, and I wouldn't change that for anything because even through taking like our exams, these are their legit words. When you take your master's um, in social work exam, this exam is written in terms of a white woman. So you need to put on your white woman's lens. Wow. I've never been a white woman a day in my life. I don't I don't have the lens of a white woman. Right. But okay. <laughs> the field that I'm in, that's kind of how they tell you to navigate it. So I think um, by studying at the school that I went to and learning about the Black perspective and how to show up authentically black in all spaces and working with a population that looks exactly like me it it prepared me to you know communicate with my population be myself in every state no matter you know what the topic is so right that's a really good point Maya and it's actually taking me to that Lovecraft country episode (laughs) what do you remember the episode I never saw it. You got oh my god! Yeah, oh my gosh! It's so it's so good. Um, no, wonderful series. But uh, yeah, that's a tangent. Um, it, there was one episode where she basically became a white woman. So, um, yeah, the perspective. But I think my you saying that really made me think in terms of like representation. Um, and so because at first I was like, no, I haven't chose that but I guess I I did because um with Teach for America I I joined because I went to a title one uh school uh in Charlotte and yeah. I loved my TFA teachers but they were all white and even though they were amazing and they believed in me and they gave me so much different exposure to things that I wouldn't particularly have I think if they weren't in the school because they did change my life um there was still like somewhat of a disconnect um between us in terms of um 
you know, just things I think that would have been more helpful had they had a Black experience, which no fault to them, they did their best. And so I think that for me, when I was graduating, I was so excited to join TFA because I wanted to embody all the things that they inspired me to be. But also at the same time, I could have, I could take it. And I did, I took it a step further because I was a black woman. And because yeah. I know what it's like to go to a title one school, I know what it's like for, um, you know, these experiences to happen and things that you see at school that you really shouldn't see. Um, and so that really informed me. And then I think now, um, as I transition and enter the foreign service, I think that I'm really excited about challenging the global lens of what an American is. Because when I think about all the contributions Black people have done to build this country, yeah, it, it's just a no-brainer to me that people around the world when they think of America, they should absolutely think of a Black person. And so I look forward to um, stepping into that role and, and being able to represent that. Yeah, that sounds great. And then another thing that you said that like made me think of this is experience is everything. And I think a lot of times we have you have to come from it with anything, really, but you have to come from the experience to know what you're like, you can study something so much and be so passionate about it. But once you've experienced it for yourself, it's like you have a whole nother lens of like how you're supposed to look at it, supposed to teach it and everything like that. Um, but my identity, I'm not in my career. So, <laughs> but I will say that uh, it definitely chose when I did the pivot from law to communications. And that was just because when I was at law and doing all these law programs and all these internships and things I just like noticed a change in me and I saw a different change in a black attorney that was a woman and I just was like I don't want to do this and it was like instead of me trying to figure out like you know I tried to figure out why I didn't want to do this I think it was more so of like you see a lot of people in the space that actually love contributing to law and they want to do excuse me they want to do this so bad they want to practice it and they're black women and they're in the space it's no need for me to take up space for something I know I don't want to do for a check um and so then I realized like okay what do you want to do and I think noticing that it were less black women like we can only name a couple of them that are on CNN and that are on MSNBC and stuff like that I was like you know what Brooklyn need to be added to the list and I just feel like it was time for me to to see like, okay, that's something that I'm actually passionate about and that I would take up space in and be grateful to. And to, for my family, that means a lot. Like me trying to do that is a lot. My grandfather always calls me, I'm watching the game right now. They got a black woman on the field. That's gonna be, <laughs> and I'll be like, I know I'm trying, but like, it's just like, it brings a lot more joy into me to understand that and not going into the field that I knew was already like taken up. Or it, of course we need more black women lawyers, but I knew that some of them just had so much passion behind it. And I just lost that, I guess. So agreed. I yeah. think like to piggyback off of that, I as a black woman, like we're told not to take up space. And so I feel like we need to be empowered in doing that, but need to be mindful of when it's like we're just here just to be here and not because yeah. we actually want to do this or we're passionate about it. Right. And I think I experienced the same thing. Um, with being given opportunities and it's like I don't really want to work there 
Yeah. I don't really want to go here. Like, let's be real. Like, let me give it to somebody else that like is looking for something or yeah. wants to do that because it ain't for me. <laughs> yeah. Andy is the jobs, the job searcher. She'd be securing them jobs. <laughs> but uh <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Oh, so does this affect being black, being a woman, like we're talking about it, but does this affect like your everyday life, your everyday decisions? And also, which this might get too personal. So if you don't want to answer, you don't have to your dating life. So like, how does this affect like your dating life and your, well, your personal life is kind of that. So yeah, I know, I know I'm getting in there. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> I'll start. No, I'm just kidding. I had, okay, wait, I, I will start though. Actually, I had a black man, cause this is recent. I was taking my braids out or something. I think I was on FaceTime. First off, black men don't comment on women's hair. But he had said something about me looking like um, one of the characters off of Diary of a Mad Black Woman and said something about like the way my hair looked after I took my braids out. And it really, not not that it offended me. I was just like, why are you commenting on my looks? Like, why are you commenting on my appearance? And it just like really like, of course he's cut. But I'm just like, why are you commenting? (laughs) Why are you commenting on something that has nothing to do with you? And I think like being a Black woman, with that really bothered me but also being a black woman in like the workspace and stuff like that especially when you're the only one it's only two at my job and that affects my everyday life because I just recently had to mention something about black history month um that bothered me and like I said before I probably wouldn't have but I don't like the fact that I'm getting the text about happy groundhog day and happy February and not happy black history month and so it really bothered me and I was just like let me speak up and now I have hundreds of emails about what we could do as a company for Black History Month. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'll be the one for, for somebody else to come in and, and take the space. So I think it does affect me every day, um, not only being Black, but being a woman. And sometimes a lot of Black men cannot, they don't understand the difference. And I feel like sometimes for me personally, I'm a Black feminist, but I do feel like it definitely is a gender thing. Like sometimes it's just like, you can tell the difference. And not to say I put down black men, not to say anything like that, but it is a, it's a gender thing. So. Um, I think being a black woman at work, like, I mean, I work remote now, but my first role was in office and also my internships. And I'm always very mindful of when there's other black interns or black employees, men specifically, I can't be laughing too hard because then it's going to be a, oh, do, I, do you like him? That blah, blah, blah. Like, it's always going to be a thing. And I'm like, no, that's just the homie. We're just cool. Like, because first of all, I don't shit where I eat. So I would never do that anyway. But yes. not like, why, why does it have to be that? You're, Sarah, you're over there with Connor laughing, <laughs> but I'm over here with Malik and it's a problem. <laughs> I'm not asking you, are, do you like him? And do y'all hang yeah. out outside of work? Like, what? Right. what's the, and the thing is, it's always going to be directed to me. It's never going to be yeah. him getting pulled to the side, like being asked questions, personal questions or being told to calm down. It's going to be me. Yeah. It's always me. And so that's been very frustrating. Um, when it comes to dating, like I haven't had like, terrible experiences dating as a black woman typically because I only date black men so (laughs) it's not really it I did date a a white man one time in high school 
But I, because of that experience, I said I would never do that again. Just because I felt like I had to explain things too much and I didn't feel like doing that. Now, if that's your ministry, go ahead, but it's not mine. And I'm not going to explain to you that I'm upset because we went to the dinner and the waitress was talking to you the whole time and had her back towards me like I wasn't sitting there. Mm. I don't want to explain that every single week. And I know you mean well, you're asking me and you're being attentive, but like, I don't want to explain the whole A to Z every time. And so that's why I made a decision that I did. But with that, I mean, I live in Dallas. There's, of course, Black people here. But in the area that I live in, there are a lot of white people. And, like, they're they they they're not they're not checking for me no way. So it's okay. Like, I'm not checking for them. They're not checking for me. Um, and then a whole nother layer on it. You know, the, the TikTok sound, the I love dealing with a rich nigga. Yeah. I am the rich nigga. Oh, that's another <laughs> layer on top of it that's just like dating and love life is hard because I am the rich nigga and that being a black woman and then making a certain level of money like all of that is intimidating for some reason okay and it's like I don't lead with that so I don't know what energy you're getting but again your problem not mine <laughs> holy do you guys feel like it affects? Good point, India. <laughs> I literally I like, this. I feel like after that explanation, it's like <laughs> it, the answer is yes. It absolutely yeah. has to because she covered all, everything. All the, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I had to get that off. <laughs> get it off. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah. Remember, we're taking up space. So yeah. no apologies. I agree about that money thing though. That has really been intimidating for a lot of people. You got your own place. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm dating that da- or dating younger, I guess. So maybe that affects it. I don't know. But um mm, girl, it don't matter. I promise you it don't. <laughs> it don't matter. Because <laughs> why are you 32 calling me big money? Mm, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> Red flag. Red flag. Why are you oh, letting me do- why does that impress you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, that's so true. I I okay, I'm gonna I'm shift a little, little from dating, going Go back ahead. to the workplace. I do agree that professionally speaking, why aren't we allowed a kiki? Like I think she made a really good point about that. Um, and it has made me think about my workplace experiences and my school experiences. And I feel like um, something that we talk about, so I'm on the executive board for our BIPOC group, it's called uh, Policy and Living Color. And the reason why we don't even have a black student group at my public policy school is because we've just never even had enough, you know, black students. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's some history there, but, um, with our diversity numbers, it's actually completely different. Like historically, we are the most uh, diverse uh, cohort that the school has ever had. And they don't know what to do with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, like first week of orientation, um, of course, you know, all the black students sitting together during lunch, sitting, you know, laughing during breaks, having conversations and mingling. And the responses around us was more interesting than you would think like the conversations that was being had amongst one another like there's this um surveillance that exists when black 
people interact with one another um, in in these spaces that I find um, just in, intriguing, to be honest, because there's it's almost like a threat to them. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when I've heard that feedback about the way we, in which all of us as a group, I mean, it's a lot of us, like in a, in a cohort, we definitely, we stand out and, you know, shout out to us because I truly don't think Duke will yeah. ever do this again. <laughs> but um, when we come together, there's this threat about our collective gathering or like this natural relationship. And even at work, I think, I saw that too, where it's like, um, I wish we could get along in this natural, easy way that you seem to get along with them. And Mm -hmm. I think that the reality is, is that you can't, if you're not doing the work to be able to understand, like, you know, they, they, they have made references uh, before about the way we all gather together. And it's actually funny because when we meet, like, at a friend's place when we're watching the Super Bowl together, just doing activities outside of campus, um, we all admit like we don't feel safe to interact freely amongst one another at school. Mm-hmm. And I just don't believe it's just school. Like I think that there are a lot of spaces where it's almost it's uh <laughs> it's like <laughs> almost illegal to kiki. <laughs> and yeah. It's yeah. just you know, like, let me be, like, let me express myself. Um, Let me foster and have these genuine connections with people who understand me. And maybe if you've read while the Black kids sit at the lunch, uh, you know, table together, maybe you'll understand, like, why this, you know, relationship happens. Um, And then I guess as far as, like, dating goes, I think where I'm at now with dating is um, aligning more with just, like, core values and beliefs. So I think my filtering system is just fundamentally different because I still feel like at the end of the day, the experiences that we do go through as Black women, um, even within our community, can't be understood unless radical empathy is involved. And so I feel like if a man is not well-versed in that and doesn't have the capacity to feel and to empathize, we're already not going to have a strong connection Um, because you don't even have to have all the solutions. But when I unload, when I drop my shoulders, I just want to know that you can, you can hold that and you can make space for that. I want to be able to like, let my hair down. And so that's, those are kind of like the signals that I, I look for. Yeah, that's good. Let me think. think, Oh, go ahead. Well, to your point about like kikiing and like people being a surveillance, people not understanding that was one of the worst case scenarios that happened to me as an intern. Like, this one intern didn't really understand why him and I were not cool outside of work. Now, granted, I was there before everybody else every time. He walked in every morning and I'm saying good morning and I'm saying goodbye, but no, we're not friends because think of like frat boy ECU. That was him. Mm-hmm. So, and we sat right next to each other and you're trying to understand, you never try to understand what myself and the other interns were talking about. Mind you, they're all white men. 
um, but they're actually trying to understand what I'm talking about or they're even going and looking up pop culture or black references that like they wouldn't know to come have a conversation with me because they want to include me, right? And you're not doing that work. So you're trying to wonder why all I say to you is hi and bye and I'm peeking with somebody else because you're not doing the work to the point where he stood up and was hollering at me on the sales floor one morning because he was like, why? Uh, I just want to know why like you're not friends with me. And I was like, well, because I'm not friends with pretentious people that don't want to understand anybody else. And he goes, oh, so you're saying all white people are like that? I said, no, baby, you said that. <laughs> you said that. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. He proceeds to stand up and start like hollering. And I'm just like, should I react or should I just sit here and laugh? Yeah. And that's what I did. And I just sent him off the rails. But it's like, you're not doing that work and all these other people are. And that's why. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, to Brooke's point, um, earlier you said something. Mm, lost the point. Never mind. Go ahead, Brooke. It's okay. <laughs> I just got to say, to the point of the workplace, um, I think when you just said reaction, that is my whole like notion in meetings of, is this a time that I react? Mm-hmm. Or if mm-hmm. I react, what do I say? Yeah. If I don't say it right, there's going to be a problem. If I say it right, there's still a problem. So when do I react? When do I not react? Right. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And it's funny that we are even having this conversation because my supervisor is a Black woman, but I work in an office with just me and a white girl. And I went to school, you know, my HBCU was Black. My high school was Black. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been around Black people for ever and I feel like once I got into the workplace was actually the first time I've been around white people my entire life and I know that sounds kind of like far-fetched but seriously this is the first time I've really been in spaces with white women and I can't not I can't conduct myself the same way but I just feel myself having to watch like my verbiage my rhetoric I can't you know be me and authentically in all spaces but still I show up authentically as me so um I have conversations with like my white coworker and it's kind of like a cool space of like, oh, we can actually have these conversations and get to learn one another because there was something that she said and I honestly don't even remember the topic, but I'm like, you know, don't think I'm crazy, but I've never even thought about that from the space of where you're coming from because I don't have white friends. And she looked at me kind of funny and I'm like, I, I don't have white friends. Like you're actually like the first white girl that I'm having a conversation about X, Y, and Z. And even another point is how I dress at work. So she can come into work. Come on. (laughs) She can come into work with a t-shirt, leggings, and some Crocs. Yeah. If I ever step foot into that place with a t-shirt, leggings, and Crocs, my supervisor is pulling me to the side and asking me, am I okay? First of all, because something must be wrong because that's not you and and I'm like even I said to her I'm like okay are you gonna like check her are you gonna ask her like what is the dress code here because I'm a little bit confused because if I can't dress like this it's a problem but she can do so which you know if that's how you want to come to work and present yourself I'm not here to judge anybody but I think it's just the double standard of it all that like I have to one watch how I react I have to watch how I dress and it's all 
bottom line is because I'm a black woman. Yeah. And it's not fair. It's not fair. You know, you no, saying no. the the dress code actually um made me think of India, what you said earlier about like assuming that when you're talking to another male colleague that there's something going on. Um, I think that there is still way too much over-sexualization of Black women in spaces that don't even warrant those sexualizations. Like, um, you know, it's it's one thing when you are having a girls' night and you're stepping out to go to the club, you know, feeling cute, you know, putting yourself on the market to be seen, to be admired, adored, et cetera. Very different than when you're going to your job in the morning and you're trying to have like a serious uh, meeting to conduct or when you're at school giving a poster presentation or something like I I do think that um, we have to think so much about making Mm -hmm. sure like we're not put in a position where it becomes that slippery slope which is so incredibly unfair for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's definitely like generational because I remember like getting my first like business suits freshman year and my mom picking out certain sizes and said, girl, that's two sizes too big. Yeah. And she was like, oh, well, but it needs to fall like this and fall yeah. like that. Yeah. And I was like, fine. When took it to the tailor, I said, yeah, pull it in right here and pull it in right there. <laughs> and if I gain weight, we can let it out because I'm going to look cute too just because me and Sarah got on the same skirt. Now, because I got body body, I got to look like I'm floating in my mama's clothes. Like, no, yeah. I'm, I'm not going for it. Yeah. What I was about to mention for what you said, Brooke, about mentioning Black History Month and not getting like a text message from work. Um, in wanting those things and bringing those things up, like inherently we create like extra work for us because then they automatically look and be like, oh, like you do it. But I think I've kind of like embraced that role um, in my workspace. So I'm also like a co-lead for the Black Employee Resource Group. Mm-hmm. And so I, myself and my other co-leads have like rolled out this grand plan for Black History Month. Like it, it's been event after event. We've had fireside chats. We've had um, as small as like backgrounds you can put on the back of your on your background when you're on camera because we're a remote company um so we have a black business uh directory so there's little things like if you want to get involved and like not really be out there with it or if you want to come to an event and really be out there with it whatever level you want you can get and I've had like on my team I'm the only black person there's other people of color but I'm the only black person and I've had them reach out to me like hey like where did you get that background from can you send me this or send me that because I'm not a part of the ERG and I really want to start getting involved. And so that's been really rewarding. So although we, in those spaces of like calling things out, we create work, there is a rewarding side to that mm-hmm. as well. But that was Okay, play it. Then. I was at a role in my last job. Okay. I was the only black woman there. When we would have these diversity inclusion conversations, it would always look to Maya, what's your experience? Maya, what do you think? And I got to the point where I decided this is not my job to teach you about Black experiences. Mm -hmm. This is not my job to teach you about 
Black history. This is not my job to teach you, period. If you want to go learn, go learn. Now, not saying that I'm not willing to assist or help when I choose to, but I'm not here at this job to teach you about me being Black or about Black people in general. Like, yeah, no, I feel that. I, like this. I will add this is something that I volunteered for. Yeah. I have been in that position as well, where it's like they're trying to volunteer you yeah. to help me out. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'll tell you what I would, I can do the emotional labor when I have the capacity to do so. Mm-hmm. When I don't have the capacity to do that work, I, step back and I don't and I I don't think if I had if I didn't have other people to lean on in order to like help get the word out or coordinate these things I definitely wouldn't be doing it if it was just me and even when they ask me certain things I've already wrote written up this document written up this I'm quick to send a link to something that I already did because what I'm not going to do is either recite it either Mm -hmm. yeah no go 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 to the link where I already posted it there you go Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I think both of y'all make excellent points because I think what's important in this is the lesson of like boundaries and making sure like you are not being exploited for your labor because yeah. hello, our people have done that for a long time and fuck that, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh no more. But second, I do think this is where equity comes in of like if we know um We know through studies, multiple studies, that DEI is beneficial. DEI translates to profits. And so when doing so, pay people, promote people, you know, um, give people the the positions that they've earned. Because if Chad gets to go to work between nine to five and then just go home while you are here grinding, putting on events, doing the fireside chats, um, because I was also a co-lead for for Black At, shout out to um, my Austin office. I think that there should be merit and recognition behind that. And it should be in a way that translates to the individual for their labor, because you are going above and beyond. You are doing extraordinary things. And ultimately, you are shifting an ecosystem forward, whether it's your workplace, your school, like whatever. It is impacting people and so I think that especially for early career and young people who are still trying to figure out their boundaries I think both of you all make um, excellent points of like don't get used and abused Um, so Maya I think it's great that you were like yeah I'm not your token black person Um, but India I totally understand too about um, volunteering And then, and then stopping when you don't have yes. bandwidth anymore. And I think that's that's another conversation yeah. too. I think that, ooh, rest, bandwidth, capacity. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just I just feel as Black women, we're sure. we're so excellent. But um, something I loved from Queen and Slim, I'll I'll be honest, I wasn't a complete fan of the movie. Ooh. But there was a scene in the movie where Daniel, uh, I forget, oh, he, yeah, he was slim, where he goes like, why do Black people have to be excellent all the time? And yeah. I thought that was kind of thought-provoking. <sighs> no, I think, I agree. For sure. Yeah, um, I was kind of tired. I was about to say, I agree with you. I don't know if you guys have seen Harlem yet, 
Harlem yeah. season one, there's a, a space that like hit me so hard where the girl does not take care of herself. Like she just keeps going. She feels these pains in her body and she doesn't take care of herself. Right. Me too. And it's probably stress or whatever, but you don't know. We don't know. We just making up stuff in our head, not going to the doctor. She finally passes out on a train and she like goes and this is season one. So I ain't spoiling nothing, but she goes to the hospital and all her friends come in like, they're like, and she like starts crying and she's like, y'all, I'm so sorry. I'm not as strong or whatever. And one of the black ladies said, girl, why do you think you have to be strong? You in a hospital bed. But it's like as black women, we put on this thing of like strength. I have to be so strong. I can't let, I always say, I don't want nobody to know I'm crying or like, I'll sit there and I'll cry and I'll cry, but I won't tell anybody I'm crying. I won't tell anybody I'm sad. I won't tell anybody I'm stressed. And it's just like, girl, why are you, why are you doing all of this? You know what I'm like? you can rest, you can take time. And so eventually I did start taking like mental health days at work. If I'm over capacity, that is my favorite thing to say because most of the time I am, like I'm actually at capacity. He didn't ask me to do something. She has two, and now I got two other things that I need to do. And normally I would just do it and be like, okay, I'm gonna stay up all night in the middle of the night and start working. And I did that when I got my first job, my first year of grad school. But then once I got this job, I'm like, wait a minute. If y'all get to go to sleep, <laughs> y'all nine to five, this last mm-hmm. nine to five and my nine to five is 10 o'clock. I ain't eating no dinner yet. And I'm sitting here still trying to do a report. Oh no. I've learned my lesson like with the quickness in that. Um, there was something else that you guys had said about like having a community. I'm like, Indy, I didn't lost my thought. Never mind. <laughs> well, to piggyback off that, I think the only, well, I won't say the only reason, but one of the main reasons I'm able to like, do what I do and behave how I behave is because of my manager. When I tell you she is like the biggest ally I've ever had in a workspace ever, she is. She's a white woman. Um, but when I, so in order to become a lead, you have to get manager approval. And when I said I wanted to do it, she was like, okay, cool. I'm all for it. And when Black History Month came up, and I said, oh, I have this to do and this to do and this to do on top of my, you know, normal responsibility. She was like, oh, well, we can push that deadline. Like, focus on this. Like, the, the month is here. The, the day or the event that you have, that's not going to change. Yeah. That's your priority. And she's really made space for, um, to Mona's point, to that, to, for that to be part of my workload, for everybody in my leadership to know that's part of my workload and that is part of my priorities. And this other stuff doesn't really matter or other people can do it and really let me flourish in that space. And so if it wasn't for that, I would definitely feel like overworked because I would have all these extra, like all of these things to do. Right. Um, and I think that's also helped me, like her attitude towards work has helped me transform mine in general, because I mean, I've always had my boundaries, like I said earlier about like, you know, start at this time, stop at this time. But if ever I'm feeling overworked or I'm not, I'm, I'm not having a good day. She's like, okay, well, we're going to just cancel our meeting then. Yeah. Well, we can do that another time. Like when you're feeling better, we can do that. And she really takes that, like who I am as a person into account. And I've never had a leader do that before. And What's so funny? if I'm not feeling good, I can say, I feel confident enough to like say that. And okay, you can take a mental health day. After I, when I said I was super busy for the month and had all these things going on, she was like, take the week, the first week of March off. Yeah. You need to recharge. You need to rest. 
That's good. And it's really that easy. And so it's become that easy for me. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I feel like allies definitely keep true, genuine allies definitely keep like it moving forward, like the mission moving forward when you have someone that's really an ally. Um, I, I would also say, Brooke, to that too, it's also when Black women don't perpetuate the hardships that they had to endure to be in spaces, but instead when they get in higher positions, radically change the space in a way that is beneficial for all of us. Um, And so I definitely had um, great allies in in management who, who did similar things like India said. So I never felt like I had to leave my identity at the door, but there was still this hunger for persistence and, and excellence um because I always like to say hi my name is Mona and I'm a recovering perfectionist because I do not chase perfectionism anymore I only chase progress mm-hmm. but when I was in that detrimental still perf- still very destructive like perfectionism like stage um it was a, a black woman a director um she saw that I was online at workplace at like 11 something responding back to her trying to like do something and um she sent me a uh, she sent me a message and when I opened it I was like in my bed which is like such a hard boundary I do not do work in in my bedroom personally and so I opened it and then she simply said um she said what instead of thinking about how much work you have to do have you ever thought about um considering to take the rest that your ancestors never got to have when I read that message I literally turned that uh work phone off I turned that laptop off I put it on the floor I went I went straight to sleep no headscarf no nothing I was like I just I needed somebody who was excellent to tell me to rest to tell me that that is productivity And um, I'm so grateful for that experience early career because now that I've switched, like I'm still early, but I'm switching to mid-career and I'm managing and working with other people and I have mentees and stuff. Like I, I have to give that, I am giving that same grace and to say like, look, I still got to where I got here, but if it's not gonna matter five years from now, don't spend more than five minutes. Like when it's time to go to bed, go to bed like handle your shit prioritize but like you said like if you're not feeling well then today's an off day and then we move on but I think that um it's just like really important that we don't almost do like this uh, hardship test on like well this is what I had to do to get in this space so you have to like go through the ringer too in order to get to the other side like we have to like radically change these environments with each other yeah yeah I think we got to get out of like survival mode and you don't yeah, have to yeah. like make somebody else be in survival mode you went through that and survived in order to like help somebody else thrive yeah. right and so you don't need to inflict that on somebody else you need to you know build them up and say like you don't have to do this like I did this so you didn't have to do this yeah, yeah. And one thing that I really enjoy about the organization that I'm in is my chief program officer is a Black woman. Yeah. And she always, when we have conversations and we have meetings, she asks us, like, how are we practicing self-care? Because the field that I'm in, every day I have to go in the door 
cut off what Maya has going on and I have to help people navigate their issues, navigate their problems, navigate the spaces that they're in, the traumas, and forget about myself. And then it's at times that I'll go home, internalize everything that they have going on and still have to try to figure out like, what are they doing? How can I help them? How can I navigate this? How can we get this done tomorrow? And I have to remember that one, it's okay to rest. And two, it's okay to take time for me. It's okay to leave their problems at the door and focus on Maya. I don't have to take everybody's problems home, even though that's the field that I entered, but it's okay. Like even this morning, I didn't want to go to work. I text my supervisor and I'm like, hey girl, I want to work from home today. She's like, okay, cool. I ended up going in and I should not have, but (laughs) it was good to have the option that she knew that like, I had a lot going on this weekend and I needed to rest. And she gave me the option that if I decided to rest, I could do so and yeah. practice self-care and whatever that looks like to me that day. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to say, you all make great points. And we're on the last question because y'all didn't answer about all of them. So <laughs> um, y'all probably answered this last one too, but we're going to see if you have something else to say uh, is how do we balance the heaviness and lightness of being a black woman? It doesn't have to be overdrawn but just how do you feel like you balance it I think it's like what the what we just got on wellness yeah and whatever that looks like for you on whatever day and I like to say I give myself a little treat but that doesn't necessarily for a long time that was food but we'll that's a whole different conversation a little (laughs) treat is whatever I feel like a little treat is that day so whatever I feel like I'm quote unquote deprived of that day I feel like I've been sitting at the desk all day and I've been in the house I'm gonna go outside and go on a walk that's my little treat yeah if I feel like I haven't really been taking care of myself like that going to get a pedicure or even going to the gym Mm -hmm. that's my little treat so whatever my little treat is for the day because I feel like I haven't gotten enough of that in the day or I'm not going to get enough of that in the day so I need to do it in the morning time I take 30 minutes to an hour and I give myself my little treat and part of that is time because time is something that you can't get back and you spend doing a lot of things. But I give myself 30 minutes to an hour of dedicated time for whatever that activity is. Yeah. Okay. I feel like uh, same thing is like when it comes to like the heaviness, I try to turn off the screens. Sometimes that can be just detrimental if you're like on social media scrolling all the time and you can see the things that happening not only to the Black community, but specifically Black women as well. And I remember getting a scholarship for something. And I got it on the day of like someone, like a major important Black woman died. And I just remember seeing it and just feeling like that just took away all of that for me, for that scholarship. And I was like, you know what? Get off of social media for the day. Like just take this day to get off and be grateful that you are one of the people that are still trying to push this narrative and trying to, you know, like trying to actively change the world um but just being that and so I was like you know what let me take the time so getting off the screens but also handling it with selfie care basically everything India has said is just taking some self self-care take some time for myself and if that's like a glass of wine or whatever the case may be getting my nails done my eyebrows I got these eyebrows done this week it just made me feel so good made me feel so pretty like I, I don't know like I just be feeling myself after I do India's little treat, my little self-care. Like, it's just, I need a little something to get me through 
after this, I will be giving myself some ice cream because I wanted to cancel this meeting. But I said, you know what? I need it. So I'm going to go get me some ice cream after this. But yeah, just just handling it, handling it like that. I think another thing that I could add is um, a little bit of delusion. Oh, yeah. I think being a Black woman is hard. It's heavy. And like, I need to let a little bit of delusion in in order to like not be mad at the world. So like, there's some fights that just like can't be my fight. Mm-hmm. And I got to accept that. Like paper straws, that's not my fight. The, I love the turtles. I love the ocean. I love the world. But that's just not my fight. So I don't mm-hmm. have to, I know I don't have to die on every hill. Um, and I can be a little bit delusional because like, I don't know, I just, being a black woman, you have to be hyper aware, like we talked about earlier, of like a lot of things. And so like turning that part of my brain off for a little bit and being like, no, everything's fine. I allow myself to do that from time to time because if I don't believe that everything's fine or everything's going to be okay, and I'm in a constant state of feeling everything, Mm -hmm. and I cannot do that to myself. Like, I've done it, and it doesn't get me in a great place. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think connecting to delusion, that's a really good one. Um, I do think it's about perspective. At least that's how I look at it. Like, I... um, I don't see it as a burden. Like, I think I just love being a black woman and I relish in it so much and in in the identity of it, in the like vastness of all that being a black woman entails. I, I look at it as, as an opportunity to just share one piece of that puzzle. Like I am, I am just one black woman representing this beautiful collection of black women and and all the amazing things that we do and that we're going to do and um so when i look at social justice and like inequalities and stuff i kind of have this oh i get to like uh like so i i like i'll shoot my hand up in class and i'll be like well i think it's interesting that you know duke university has archives that historically should belong to you know Shaw University because it relates to Ella Baker and like people in the class be like how why why she why she put this professor or that you know this person like looking like a deer in headlights like I just I really like enjoy opportunities where it comes to like social change or like our identity um just like any space where I can just be like look at me, look at us, like, we, we're like that, um, you know, I think it's really cool, um, and I think that, um, it's, I think it's, um, I don't know, it's just the philosophy that maybe does involve this, like, delusion, but also hope that, you know, almost like you gotta fake it till you make it, like, there, there will be this society as every single day, women like us are in these spaces, you know, making new connections, putting on, you know, Black History Month events for running, you know, ERGs and future companies, et cetera. Like just believing that change really does happen at the margin and like the way we show up, even if people won't give us our flowers, we have flowers and we have it to give to ourselves and to one another. And so, um, I think I carry it with grace. That'll be my final word. Okay. <laughs> and I have something really short. So like to the point of delusion, 
I think it's such a privilege to be a black woman that like if I'm in meetings and there's something that everybody is thinking and everybody has to say, somebody has to say it. Why not me? Right. Like, you know, if I'm already going to be perceived or whatever the case may be, sometimes I legit go into meetings with like the county and I start fires. And it's been so many times that I will start a fire, throw it out. And people have been waiting so long to say something about it. And it's just like, oh, I'll catch it. Oh, I'll catch it. I'll catch it. And it's like that privilege of like, I have this power inside of me that I can say this. I'm already going to get judged. So why not say it? Yeah. And once I say it, they'll continue the conversation because people are so many times so afraid to have certain conversations that it's like, oh, well, we just won't say anything. Yeah. And then, like, it's been so many times that, like, I'll say something, get a text on the side or a team's message. Like, you literally said what we've been trying to say for, like, the past two years. Yeah. But we just have been so afraid to say it. And it's like, well, I'm not afraid. So let me say what everybody is thinking. <laughs> and that's just that. So. Yeah. Maya, do you I think it's because we have nothing to lose? Like, because yes, we already. I was going to say that. Like, I literally have nothing to lose here like y'all already look at me like I'm quote-unquote crazy yeah for me I am the only black woman the only black person I am the youngest everybody's already looking at me like what is girl talking about and why she so I might as well just say say something that that is meaningful that other people been trying to get off Mm -hmm. I'm not at this high level where it's like I have to play the the politics game no because I treat because I treat work the way I do, I'm coming here to do my job and go. I'm gonna say what I gotta say, and then I'm gonna go. What? Yeah. what? Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing here to lose. Then leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say thank you guys for coming on the show. I feel like this has like been a great conversation. I'm super excited. So thank you guys. Thank you. Welcome. Thank, thank you. you. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, practice in selfie care. Make sure to tag us. Make sure to tag us in your diary of a blank black woman. Fill in the blank. Um, As always, never judge anyone because you don't know their story. I'll see you on the next one.